Mana 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 this is social disgusting welcome to social disgusting a podcast where my guests and i discuss our lives amidst the wanton hellscape in which we find ourselves i am brandon aka brandon hope you're well my guest is a behavioral neurologist with over 20 years of experience in treating patients with alzheimer's disease and other forms of dementia as well as a founding member of the arkansas celtic music society a dragonfly enthusiast and the person who taught me about hurling please welcome dr mark pippinger welcome Oh, thank you, Brandon. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> yes, thank you for uh, coming on. I really do appreciate it. Sure. I guess the ever-loaded question, how are you? <laughs> uh, I'm fine. Uh, we're we're getting through it, you know. Uh, that's one of those questions that you ask and you don't ever really want to know exactly what people are saying, but I can yeah. honestly say we're, we're, we're getting through things, you know. We're... Mm-hmm. Um, we're sticking with it, head down and working. Yeah, to your point, I don't know. Um, obviously, there is no right answer, and I don't know what the answer is. You know, it's that it's an easy question. Like I said, it was an e- it's an easy question to ask, and ever more difficult, probably, question to answer. Yeah, just these yeah. days, there are many layers, many layers. You know. <laughs> yeah, it just feels like kind of this mental gr- vice grip that's just tightening incrementally as we go along because it feels mm-hmm. being separated from humans on a general like day-to-day basis it's just so unnatural yes that it just i don't know what to do i feel like we're all in some form of shock at this point yeah it's it's a it's a difficult thing to deal with because all of the social things you used to are just suddenly not there and you know you can't. You either can't do them at all because your state is being sensible, trying to prevent spread, or you could go out and do them and risk your life. You know, potentially, yeah, and yeah. Wind up with this disease and you don't know where it is. You're not sure who has it and who doesn't. And you know, so it's it's a very scary kind of time, partly because of all the unknowns. I, th- I think. Oh, absolutely. No, I completely agree. I've. I've said this before on the show, but it's like being in the movie Jaws, but you never see the shark. Yes, exactly. And it's just, you know, this <laughs> phantom kind of that's just hanging over the proceedings. And it's just, you can't see, taste, or touch it, but it's just frightening. Yeah. And I, I don't know what, <laughs> you know, I, I just know I will do everything in my power to avoid getting it because it's just, yes, it's formidable, to put it lightly. Well, you, and, and you, you know, if your risk of, I've heard people discuss it this way. If your risk of dying from this virus is, let's say, 4%, and you say, geez, that's, that's not that much. But a friend of mine explained it, that if it's, it's like having a bowl of 100 M&Ms and four of them are laced with cyanide. And his question is, are you going to eat any of them? <laughs> you know, that is, oh, that's fair. It's the, the same thing. Yeah, that's an intense thought. And it goes beyond that because, you know, although you might not die from the disease, there are all kind of long-term problems you can have. And it's certainly not the kind of virus that you just, you know, sail right through like it's a cold. So it's a potentially deadly thing. And so it is scary. It's something you want to avoid if you can. Absolutely. Yeah, it's certainly nothing to uh, take lightly or just to be cavalier about especially with it doesn't just start and stop with you either it's having any semblance of consideration for people you come in contact with whether they're absolute strangers or people you love regardless you have to obviously take into consideration humanity in general because this is a thing that can like i guess any other fairly if not highly infectious disease can spread at the drop of a hat without you ever knowing that either somebody else around you has it or you yourself do that's what makes it so scary you don't know who has it (laughs) yeah 
I did want to ask you, I know that, as I said in the intro, you're a behavioral neurologist with yes. a specialty in Alzheimer's disease and, and other forms of dementia. I was curious mm-hmm. about Alzheimer's disease and other forms of dementia through the prism of quarantine. And is that something, what are you fearful of the effects of that or just your thoughts on it in general? Well, it's, uh, there are a couple of issues that come up. Of course, one of them is that the diseases I deal with, Alzheimer's disease and the other dementias, are usually diseases that affect older people. Mm-hmm. And Alzheimer's disease itself is more common in people who have type 2 diabetes. So we have, relatively speaking, older people, more people with diabetes, people with comorbidities, And in fact, data presented at our recent international Alzheimer meeting have shown that the rate of death from COVID among Alzheimer patients is higher than the rate for other groups. So uh, our patients are at a higher risk. That's one factor. Another thing is our patients are, you cannot explain to them why you need to do unusual things, Mm -hmm. why you can't go to the senior center that they are used to going to. You can't explain to them why they should wear this mask. You can't explain to them why they should stay away from other people and socially distance, you know. So it makes it very hard for caregivers, um, you know, the, the family caregivers. It makes it very hard because suddenly some of their support uh, services like adult daycares can't function anymore and they've closed because of the fear of spreading the disease. Some of their caregivers don't want to come and work as caregivers anymore because they're afraid of spreading the disease to these vulnerable people uh, or they themselves are sick. And so you, you lose some of the services and you can't explain to the person who has dementia why this is going on. So they're at once, uh, at the same time, they're very vulnerable. And also it's very difficult to keep them safe because they don't really understand it. They're not capable of understanding. You can't explain to them and hope that they'll do that. So, um, you know, yeah, it's a particular challenge. Sure. Makes sense too. But just the idea of having to explain this to honestly anyone, let alone... You know, with the, I guess, the, for lack of a better phrase, kind of the, the mental faculties to be able to process it or interpret right. what this means, let alone somebody with dementia, some form of it. Yeah. yeah, I would imagine, too, that routine is of particular interest or need for somebody with dementia. And is. this is particularly, to your point, like disruptive toward that. And that's got to yeah. be very difficult. And to your point also of the ripple effect of on the caregivers, too. Yeah. Because they're suddenly having to do, you know, as I say, some people who could work before they could send mom or dad to an adult daycare and they could look after them. They could take care of them during the day and they can go work and then come back and get them in the afternoon. And now they can't do that. That's not available. So they have to figure out how am I going to look after mom or dad? And, uh, you know, it's it's very difficult for family caregivers Another factor that happens for those people who are in institutions like assisted living facilities and nursing homes, Mm -hmm. those facilities have had, as you've probably heard, those are often considered sort of a concentrated COVID source, you know, a, a risk that is really, really high because it can spread so easily between the residents. So many of those are now locked down. So your mom might be used to you coming to visit her 
you know, once a week or twice a week or maybe every day. And you can't do that anymore. And she hasn't, she can't understand why you're not coming in to visit her yet. The facility's trying to protect all of their residents. And it, it just, it's been a huge, it's had a huge impact on a lot of our patients who become very agitated because they don't understand why is my daughter out there and she's not coming in. Uh, it has a big impact on the family that can't visit them. The other families that are taking care of people at home and now suddenly they have to take care of them much more of the time. And so, yeah, it's had a huge impact on our population. God, I can't imagine that. Um, you know, just uh, as a caregiver or family member, uh, some someone in your your case attempting to treat that. So yeah, I know um, you work at a memory clinic in yes. Charlotte. What? How? How has your job been in the wake of this? Is it? Are you going into the clinic or are you working from home a lot? And how are? How is? What is it like to to treat patients through this in this climate? <laughs> Well, it's, it's obviously changed. When the uh, coronavirus first hit, you know, there was there was talk about it. Um, people were unsure how risky it was. Uh, the face-to-face encounters were considered maybe um, not advisable. Maybe those were risky. We were starting to take measures like disinfecting after patients. At some point, it was decided that face-to-face encounters were too dangerous, and our our company, Novant Health, which is the healthcare company that my clinic is run by, Mm -hmm. decided that that they would discourage face-to-face visits and try to encourage video visits, so uh, telemedicine-type visits, except using laptop computers and cell phones and other technology that was widely available and try to do uh, visits where we would see people over video. Um, and that was really, really encouraged. Although, to their credit, Novant always gave the doctors the, the prerogative of deciding what was best for mm-hmm. the patient. So we would still see patients who had urgent problems or who had something that had to be seen face-to-face. We could still see them using all the precautions we had to reduce the risk of spreading the virus. Uh, the result of that is I've gone into the clinic every single day. I've not stayed home any given day. We've done some video visits from the office, but dementia, although many neurologists disappointingly think that that's something that can easily be done over a video camera, it's really not. It requires a lot of face-to-face contact. So we've been in the clinic and we've used uh, the best strategies we have to reduce risk of spreading the virus but we've seen some live patients in the clinic virtually every day but it's been less because people are worried and some of our patients are in facilities that haven't allowed people to leave the facility even for a doctor's visit and so some people we haven't been able to see but those that families can bring them we use masks we use disinfection in between. We have very few people in the office at any one time, usually one patient and their family member at a time, and they leave and the next one comes. And so we've continued seeing people or trying to, trying to provide a diagnosis and treatment for these dementias every day, virtually. 
Wow, it's, I mean, wow. It's nice to have that, obviously, that flexibility to be able to do that, especially mm-hmm. in light of, to your point of, of that's something that is far more treatable in person as opposed to via some telehealth mm-hmm. options. I was curious, because maybe for good reason, hopefully, I don't mm-hmm. hear about the numbers as much, but how is North Carolina doing with the current COVID situation? The current situation in North Carolina, the number of cases, you know, uh, with uh, trying to reopen the state, you know, the state moved into phase one and then phase two, and then the number of cases started to really climb. And we mm-hmm. became one of the leading states in the country as far as the number of cases, number of hospitalizations. We had many every day. A lot of them concentrated here in Mecklenburg County, which is the county that Charlotte is in, because mm-hmm. Charlotte is the biggest city in North Carolina or in the Carolinas, as a matter of fact. So we had a lot of cases, and to his credit, Governor Cooper said, wait a minute, we can't go any further. We we can't go beyond phase two. We really have to try hard to control this, and we've been controlling it a bit better. So I think the number of new cases has been leveling some, and the number of, of uh, hospitalizations has been leveling some. So it seems to be uh, not quite as... It's not advancing as quickly as it was. So it's leveled off uh, from the latest figures that I've seen. That's obviously, well, it's better than an increase to say the least. But yeah, you know, here a couple of weeks ago, I think there was a man, you know, not, I almost said mandate. I don't know how mandated it was, but of requiring masks and yeah. having fines enabled, but then it's enforceable per county. So it's kind of like, more of a, it'd be nice if, but you don't have to. And you yes. know, so, which is, wow, I wonder what they're going to do at this point. You know, the fact that we had a story about how Hot Springs was enforcing it, you know, as opposed to there are so many. So we'll do a new story on the one that's not doing it. So yes. optically, it looks good, but it, you know, nothing's coming of it. And I know just driving around kind of downtown area or kind of off Main Street, you know, in that area. Yeah. And yeah. You would never know there's a pandemic based on how people are acting, or I should say maybe not acting with any masks or anything, which is disheartening to say the least. Yeah, and it it was sort of that way here at first. So with the beginning stages of the reopening, I think one of the fears that I had, and a lot of people shared the same fear, and I think that it came to pass, is that with starting to reopen things, people said, great, we've licked it, it's done, we can go back to how we were before. And so... But the governor has instituted a mask mandate in North Carolina after the cases were rising so fast. And some communities have stubbornly, uh, openly said, well, we're not going to enforce that, really. But even in those communities, I think the wearing of masks has increased because people have started to see that really that just sort of makes sense. And so we've had a lot of people uh, I, I have personally witnessed the percentage of people wearing masks in public to increase. And there's still some people not doing it, but um, but by far the majority seem to be wearing them now. And, and I would guess that that's helping, you know, um, and that may be why things are, are kind of trying to level off. That is excellent news, to put it lightly. Hopefully I just caught everybody on a particularly dangerous day, I guess, and 
Maybe that's not the case at all. I don't know, but it was very eye-opening. Yeah. Just to know intellectually, this is a pandemic, but then my eyes and my brain seem to be miscommunicating because I can't believe what I'm saying. Yeah. I did want to ask you, I know my introduction to you when we first started talking because we were on trivia teams together. Yes. Which was great. I, I love doing that so much. But you and I have talked about a lot of different things, including your absolute overwhelming love for all things Irish and yes. having lived in Ireland for, what, two or three years, right? Two years, yeah. Two years? I, this is such an unfair question, but what do you love about Ireland? Oh, it's, it's very difficult to explain. I mean, I, I started being interested as a medical student in Irish music. Mm -hmm. And like all Americans, I have some Irish ancestry, although I was completely unaware of it at the time. You know, it was through my mother's family. And I was only familiar with my father's family, who were largely German and Dutch. And so, but I got interested in Irish traditional music, or what you might call Celtic music, part of Celtic music. I got so interested in that. And through that, I started to become interested in the culture of Ireland and the politics of Ireland. And I went to visit it. Uh, a friend of mine um, said, come over and I'll look after you. I'll show you around. You can have a week in Ireland. And I went in January of all months, which is not a great month <laughs> to go to Ireland yeah. because the days are incredibly short because Ireland is very far in the north. And so the days would be like six hours long and it was cold and it, you know, it rained most of the time. And, um, you know, but I just had something about the place I just loved. And part of it was going into little country pubs and you could strike up a conversation with someone who could talk to you intelligently about the politics of Europe, anywhere you wanted to talk about, they knew about it. They knew about America. And, you know, a lot of Americans wouldn't know anything at all about the politics of Ireland or the history of Ireland. And these people in Ireland always seem to know and you could have great conversations or you'd be in some pub like that. And suddenly someone would start singing and the whole place would go quiet out of respect for the singer. And you, you'd hear, you know, I experienced all these things while I was there. And for some reason I, that I can't explain, I just fell in love with the place and with the culture and you know i like cooler weather so i guess maybe that's part of it but uh, i just uh, got so enamored of it and i loved the language and the peculiarities of the english that's spoken there and mm -hmm. i also loved the fact that they have a completely different language many americans are unaware that irish is an actual language they have a different language that's completely different from english and so uh, and not everybody in Ireland speaks Irish, by the way, but those that do, I just really loved hearing this wonderful other language. And so it, it sucked me in and I've just been hooked ever since. I love the sound of that too. Just, um, not having been there myself, but the warmth and sense of community and yeah. This isn't a totally fair, fair statement, but I don't know. Relative to that sound, America is a lot more impersonal yes. in certain yeah. regards, if not many regards. Yeah. So I love the idea of that. And also just the, I don't know, it sounds like the nature of a country with way more history. Yeah. And it's that's that's the thing is you everywhere you turn, there's like history and there are people living in houses hundreds of years old and there are places to see. I mean, it's great. And you see these some, you know, a church, uh, sort of a ruin, and it looks very old. And you ask someone, it's, oh, it's just an old church, you know, it's another <laughs> yeah. one. You know, they're all over the place. And you see all of these historic things, and, and many things happened 
uh, over the years, you read about them and then you see the land where it came from. And also Ireland is very, very literary. You know, some of the great novelists, poets, writers have come from Ireland. In fact, I would say proportionately a higher number come from Ireland than I would bet almost any other country. Mm -hmm. I mean, my favorite novelist is James Joyce and my favorite poet is Yeats. And you can go where these people lived and you see what, what sort of inspired their uh, literacy. And you read the newspaper in Ireland and it's different from the newspaper in America because it's just, it seems so literate in a way. Yeah. And, um, you know, so it was, it was a great joy to me to run into all that. And as I say, the people, and you, you run into people, and I remember spending hours in a pub with the lady who was a lawyer and she was making arguments, political arguments that were uh, surprised me because they were kind of against my own politics. And we, we argued back and forth, not violently, but we just argued in a real um, uh, philosophical sense all night. And at the end of the night, she told me, well, just so you'll know, I totally agree with everything you say. <laughs> I was just taking the other view. I love <laughs> that. Yeah. But I love the um, kind of like that healthy, respectful discourse like that. That's what it is. Yeah. I love that. It sounds like just, I don't know, more intellectually stimulating. It was for me. Yeah. yeah. And you're surrounded by history. And it's almost like, in a way, being in a foreign country and then finding the one other person that speaks the same language you do. And you're like, oh, except for you, yes. it's an entire country. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's sort of, it's, a, it's, a, it's one of those things. And so... And that was, you know, you mentioned that I'm a hurling enthusiast, the yes. Irish na one of the Irish national sports uh, that I've found so interesting because it's so different. And there's a huge history. It goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. And the tradition is all over the country. And there are people who have followed this sport for all those years. And there's such a lot of pride in each county with this sport. And when you watch the yearly championship, the All-Ireland Championship, it's just dripping with tradition and history. And I, I absolutely love that. Do you still, what is it, subscribe to the feed or the kind of on-demand, the live that they do for yes. hurling? Yeah. Yeah, they, they, there's a couple of services you have to pay for it here in the States because nobody, well, not many people in the United States watch the Irish hurling. But mm -hmm. um you know, but I still, and it's a service you can just pay by the match and watch the matches and, you know, watch the finals. And it's great, in my opinion. It's great to watch because, again, it to, to me, it's that culture and the tradition, the, the history of that. It's so suffused with it. And I love the commentators, you know, when they're talking about who's playing and they say, oh, oh Harley, he's taken the puck out and his grandfather was the great so-and-so. And he gives you the whole lineage of this oh, player that's on, on the pitch, you know, so... It's great. And it also gives you that very cohesive sense of family. And I love that. Do you have a particular county you root for? <laughs> well, that's a good question. Uh, actually, you know, I've sort of split. And Wexford is a county that I, I love very much. It's in the southeast of Ireland. Mm -hmm. And, you know, honestly, my ex-wife's family was from there. 
and I met loads of people in Wexford and I got to know a lot about it. And I still have friends there that are, that are musicians. And when I go there, I have places I can stay and there's great scenery around the Southeast coast. And the oldest functioning lighthouse in Europe is there in Wexford, the hook light on the hook peninsula. And on the opposite end of the, of the island is the County Donegal. And I have a huge number of musician friends who are from Donegal, which is a very different place. There's an Irish-speaking area in Donegal where people speak Irish as their daily language. So you can go there and experience some of the most Irish culture you can experience there in Donegal and hear this wonderful music almost anywhere. And so those are the two counties that I root for. And they're a bit different. Wexford is a big hurling county. Donegal, on the other hand, is a big county for Irish football, which is another ancient Irish game. Not as much my favorite, but... Um, yeah. This is, again, changing yep, sure. changing gears again. But I know, obviously, you're, you're doing a lot of your clinical work and you're going in every day. But what are you doing to try to, for lack of a better word, keep your sanity or to just... Keep yourself focused, do something, kind of keep yourself going in your day-to-day that's helped you out through all this. Strangely, I guess strangely, I mean, one of the things that helps me a lot, of course, my wife and I are completing our move and it's just, I mean, it's absolutely helter-skelter trying to organize getting the rest of our things from Arkansas back to here so that we can uh, finish selling our house there. And so that's been, my wife has been back in Arkansas trying to organize that. And so it's been a little lonely because she's not here. She's back there. But, you know, I've had my children come. But the real thing, I guess, the one thing that runs through all of it that I always fall back on is cooking. And strangely enough, I love to cook. And so my refuge when everything gets really, really crazy is to just go cook something, you know, to to go cook dinner and, and, you know, cook some interesting thing. And so I guess that's one of the biggest things. So I listen to music all the time, uh, through my AirPods. I listen through this and that. And, um, listen to classical music. I listen to my Irish music. I listen to whatever. And then I love to just cook. That's the thing. I can That's forget right. about the other stuff. Yeah. No, that sounds like I've, I've been trying to phrase it in my head as like trying to find healthy distractions. Mm-hmm. And that to want that absolutely is a great choice for that, in my opinion, of just the, something you can kind of both in a way zone out and let things process in the background. Wow. Mm-hmm. Because I just feel like, you know, it's just you have all of this that's happening, I mean, just let alone in anybody's personal life and anything happening, but just the thing that we're all experiencing is so overwhelming and unfathomable and so in its own way cinematic because it's something I've only seen in movies and just never experienced that I'm just trying to figure out ways to do something while letting it all process in the background. Otherwise, it's going to manifest itself in some way or another. And this is all just so much. It's a huge load. I mean, and you're right. It's exactly, it's like some kind of movie that you watched when you were a kid and, you know, and suddenly, you know, you hear about, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to close everything down. It's going to be, and you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And then it actually happens. (laughs) So Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's wild, you know, because I, I just never, um, you know, I, as much as it's, you know, it depends on the day, certainly for me, but sometimes it can just be really difficult and, 
there's just so much to process and can be so overwhelming. And I think um, one thing that I do think a good thing that will come out of this is that we have all these things that we're used to taken away from us in a way. And I mm-hmm. think it's going to help, at least it's helping me kind of realize different priorities or things that are, you know, it's, you know, yes. absence makes the heart grow fonder. And, I, and I'm realizing things that are not as important to me as I thought they were or things that are more important than I realized. And that's really yeah. been eye-opening in a really positive way for me. Yeah. Yeah. So there are some, I suppose you'd say positives. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm trying to brightside it. I don't know how positive they are. Uh, but I mean, it's just trying to see it for, through the prism of it's not all bad. Um, although for the most part, I just think, man, it's all bad. It really is all yeah. bad. But it's, it's, well, I know. mean, and every time I, I start to think to myself about, you know, getting through it, it just, the, the thing that comes crashing back is there's so many people who have, who've lost their lives yeah. as a result of this. And I think some of those, you know, uh, it's it's likely we could have handled things a whole lot better and maybe not so many people would have lost their lives. And so while I can see there are some positive things because we learn better what's important to us, but it's a terrible thing that people have lost their lives because of it. Absolutely. No question about it. It's a situation where uh, regardless of how bad, quote unquote, bad I have it, to, to say that I have it worse is dramatically incorrect to put it lightly, because I could have it so much worse, yeah. regardless of the situation, yeah. pre-pandemic or, or inter-pandemic. Yeah. I mean, and there, there, there are people that say that to me. They say, you're working, you're a doctor, and you go in, you work, and that's, you know, that's really something. But I'm not on the front line, you know, honestly. Yeah. The people I see, we, you know, we go to lengths to make sure that we don't have people coming in our clinic carrying the virus as best we can. We can't sure. be sure of that, but as best we can. And so that's, you know, I have such a lot of respect for those doctors that just like firemen walking into a burning house, you know, they just go right in and face it every day. And so that's a huge thing. I can't imagine just that and just anybody who is a, an essential worker in the day-to-day and the people yeah. that have, whose everyday lives haven't, for lack of a better phrase, skipped a beat, that everything has been quote-unquote normal despite the fact that these are truly abnormal, extraordinary situations. And, yes. uh, God, I, I know, I I can't even I can't even put it into words. It's so unfathomable to me. Is there anything in particular you want to point people toward before we wrap it up? Well, uh, um, uh, just, I suppose, the general things. I'm always arguing for people to, to uh, know more about the occurrence of dementia and to know more about the challenges people are facing with that. And if you know people who are taking care of somebody who has Alzheimer's disease or dementia, keep them in your thoughts and your prayers. And the, and the biggest thing though, for me is, you know, music, go out and listen to music and, you know, support those things, I think. And, uh, the musicians, they bring so much into your life. Um, that's one of the worst things is not being able to access the live music the way we could before. And one of the good things too, is the, the new venues for being able to distribute the music through online and virtual experiences. So I just tell everybody, take advantage of that too. go out and listen to some music, whatever, whatever you like. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I know music has pretty much been the constant for me throughout all of this, and it's helped me exponentially through everything. Yeah. And I miss the live concert experience so much. Yeah. So much. And, you know, hopefully that'll be coming back. But, you know, in the meantime, there's online concerts, yes. online performances, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again for taking the time. I really do appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me, Brandon. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Of course. Thank you all for listening. Please wear a mask, stay safe, and take care of yourself. Okay. Bye.